episode 19. We did a lot of our pre-actual chatting before this. Episode 19. Current broadcaster for Vandy Baseball. Villain broadcaster for Vandy Women's Hoops. And other stuff on SEC Plus and anything else he can get his hands on. And we'll talk more about that <clears throat> right now with Max Hurst. With Max Hurst. And Max, you aren't originally from here, but how did you get your start? And when did you know broadcasting was for you? And at the high school you went to, were there opportunities for broadcasts at that point? Luther, thanks for having me, first of all. No, it you. is really cool to talk to you, get to know you, um, somebody else in Nashville who is <laughs> doing really impressive work to do what you do. So I that, try, my friend. I try. That is extremely admirable, and I I feel bad that your uh, your state run, what, didn't get to happen this year, got canceled off, right? Well, we, we got one game in the girls, and then – because our season ended on that Thursday, actually, you know, in a roundabout way, it kind of worked itself out. Because, oh, so you did get to play your last games then? Well, yeah, we did, okay. but I, but the only thing I didn't get a chance to go do it because, because when the pairings came out, I was going to go, but then and broadcast stuff got in the way, spotter-wise. Otherwise, if that wouldn't have been an issue, then we would have definitely done it because everything was set up perfectly for us to do it. So. Mm-hmm. But it, it just didn't pan out that way. But we had a pretty good year, thirty-one and six, so a special a special season to say the least. And that was our first ever appearance at state, and pretty much everybody's back for next year, with probably a few new JV players coming in. So we'll see if they can repeat what they did last year. That's great. Well, to to answer your question, I'm from Pittsburgh originally. Came down to Nashville in 2013 to go to college at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. And in my time there, even though Vanderbilt doesn't have a, a journalism program, I was able to do a lot of broadcast work for the athletic department, especially with the baseball team. I did a lot of soccer as well for the student radio station. And um, it's it, it was enough that after I graduated, I decided to stick around and see what I could continue to add. So I've been in Nashville for over six and a half years now, which I never would have expected, but it's been great. Um, I'm happy to be here, and I'm, I'm very happy to have the opportunities that I have when, when games are ongoing. When you were in Pittsburgh, who were the people you listened to and said, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. This is what my goal is. I didn't really know. I didn't really know initially that I that I wanted it to be my career path. If you had told me that when I was in high school, I would have said that made sense. My high school did not have any broadcasting. I was the PA announcer for our basketball games, which was a lot of fun, but it was it wasn't something I was I was taking seriously as a job. I think if I knew I wanted to do it for a living, I probably would have gone to school somewhere else just because Vanderbilt doesn't have broadcasting classes. It doesn't have any journalism classes. My major was communications, but it didn't really have anything to do with what I'm doing now. But I think it worked out well just because once I decided it was what I wanted to do, there wasn't a lot of competition in terms of other students to do the things I wanted to do. I showed an interest in it. I I was working for the student radio station and also working for the athletic department. So I had opportunities on both sides and they met in the middle quite a bit. 
to continue to give me uh, chances. And you mentioned the SEC Network Plus. My sophomore year was the first year of the SEC Network, the 2014-15 school year. Mm -hmm. And that lined up well just for me to be there in the beginning when Vanderbilt was taking on all this broadcast responsibility for all the online-only games. And Doug Stanton, who was new at Vandy and the producer for all of the SEC Network games, was – uh, nice enough to give me cha a chance as the sideline reporter for baseball. No one told him he had to have a sideline reporter, but he said, I like you. You like baseball. Let's give this a shot. And I was immensely underqualified, but it was a ton of fun. And that was kind of the, the, the second step, but the, the first big step in terms of pushing me towards doing this on a professional level and the opportunities at Vanderbilt were enough for, for me to stick around. So what all were you doing with the athletic department at that point and what all were you doing <clears throat> besides the sports broadcast for the student station like what all did those entities have you doing I was a student assistant a student intern uh game day intern so mostly I was doing stat keeping which was great and I really enjoyed it and I still do a lot of this a lot of stuff for uh for some Vanderbilt things for some high school events but I I was uh, a stat keeper for Football, basketball, lacrosse, maybe some tennis too. But uh, I, w I was there on football and I was on the, the official scoring crew for football starting my sophomore year, which was a lot of fun. So it was four of us. I was one of the inputters. I was actually the backup inputter. So there were two computers and two callers for the official stats that you see on the ESPN app and everywhere. So that was how they got to know me. Um, it was, I, I've always enjoyed doing the stat type work and I think it's helped me in broadcast too and vice versa. You still do much high school? Occasionally, uh, for the state championship games I have. Uh, okay, but I wasn't sure, because <clears throat> I know you couldn't do it because you were with the women's team in Greenville this year for the SEC tournament. But that was only on one and done stay, unfortunately. Yeah. So... When did the – or how did the Vanderbilt baseball opportunity come about where you would do some of the non-conference until Joe Fisher got back from football and men's basketball? Yeah, that started in, um, in last year. So February 2019 was the first time I did that. They had had um, uh, just an athletics employee doing those games, and that person left Vanderbilt. And uh, the way that IMG College sets it up, Joe, Joe Fisher, who, who is the, the voice of all three main men's Vanderbilt sports on radio, yep. will not overlap with men's basketball and baseball just because of the travel involved with basketball. He will overlap with football and men's basketball most of the time, but again, football, obviously only one game a week. So that's a different situation. He, he can't really do two basketball games and five baseball games a week often in different places. That's impossible. Yeah. So the, the way they've set it up is he, he returns to baseball once the men's basketball season ends. And uh, once, once that opened up, they, they just came to me with the opportunity knowing me. And um, it, it was a ton of fun last year. I did 18 games this year. I think I did 14 or 15 because I missed a couple when I was with the women's basketball team, but it's a ton of fun solo radio play by play with the best baseball team in the country and it is a blast. It, it is great to be with that group, to be with Coach Corbin, 
and it's it's my favorite month of the year without a doubt and i know i think you did radio tv simulcast with what was it the final game against hawaii i think and i know you did solo on that <clears throat> but i think you had andrew pace i think join you for a little bit if my math is correct now yeah that was just a that was a basketball game day so um, all of our cameras and all of our broadcasts were at were next door at Memorial Gym. So they put one camera up at baseball and they plugged the radio feed in and it turned out to be the most exciting game of the shortened season, which was great. Uh, seven, five win in 11 innings, walk off home run. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking, Oh my goodness. Like, cause <clears throat> I wasn't sure if the baseball season would have kept playing out, how Corbs would have rotated, you know, if he would have, stayed with Brown or if he would have made a switch at the closers role or not. Cause I know <clears throat> I think Mason Hickman, I think was going to miss a start if my, if I was correct, cause I think he had injured himself or something, or maybe one of the other pitchers had had a problem and they were going to miss a start. Yeah, they were, they were a couple of guys short Hickman and rocker each missed the start. So uh, they were, they were still getting healthy as the season got called off. So I'm guessing, once the season begins in full next year, which we hope, do you think Hickman and Rocker are going to be back? And then what do you see with the lighter kid? And do you think they're going to be the top three starters, or do you think there may be a switch in that as next year starts, or do you think that's how the top three will go? Well, I think Mason Hickman is, is likely to get drafted this year, especially if the draft goes 10 rounds right now. Uh, Major League Baseball is deciding between five and 10 rounds for the draft. I think if it gets to 10, Hickman is without a doubt getting picked. If it's five, he probably still will, assuming he is, he is willing to sign with an MLB team, which was his plan going into the year, and I don't imagine that will change. Right. So I, I think Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter will be the top two in the rotation next year, and because Jack Leiter will be 21 by the end of that season. He will be draft eligible, even though he's a year younger than Rocker. And I, I think it's a realistic situation where those two could be the first two picked in the draft and they could be teammates and one, two in the same starting rotation all year. So I think, I think that would be uh, a special one, two punch, assuming we are back to normal and both of them are, are healthy and available. What happened in the Jason delay situation? Because I know he was still mulling over if he was going to still play or vice versa. Like, what happened when, on that? What, when he was at Vanderbilt with the draft? Yeah, like, because I, I know, what was it? He was going to be the starting third, I think. If the, if he would have, if it, you know, if the season would have started, well, it did start, but if he was still. I mean, would he have been the starting third? Oh, are you talking about Jason Gonzalez? Yeah, Gonzalez. Yeah, sorry. Excuse me. I mean, uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Not delay, not not him. Yeah, Gonzalez. Yeah, he, he was away he was away from the team this year. He took a personal leave of absence, was how they put it. Um he was back home. Everything everything is okay health wise, as far as I know. It wasn't a health scare. And he, he plans on returning to the team next year. So with him being back, that may solidify that infield. Because I know most of the time this, you know, the shortened season that was there 
there are a lot of new faces in key places and a lot of growing pains in the infield at the yeah, start they, of the year. They were going to be fine. My my uh, disclaimer, if you will, at the beginning of the year was they're going to make mistakes. This isn't last year's team. All that matters is how good they are when Mississippi State comes to Nashville in mid-May for the final oh. series of the year. Yep. And that would have been the final barometer because you know they're going to get in a regional either way. Even if and you know they were going to have to travel to LSU as well. So that was going to be a tough test in our see where they were as well. Yeah, and it was – well, the interesting thing to me on, on the Mississippi State point was mm-hmm. I, that I was thinking that way, but I didn't think that the coaching staff was necessarily thinking that way. But, but Tim Corbin did vocalize that a couple of times that – and when there were some mistakes, especially on that opening weekend in Arizona, yep, he he said, "What matters is where we are in May." And I was a little surprised to hear that come out of his mouth because that's that's not the way he thinks, at least publicly, most of the time. Right. But uh, he said it. I I agree with him fully. And in the conversations I've had with him since then, and hearing him in other interviews, it's the biggest shame is that this group's growth was stopped. I mean. Uh, a fifth of the it, way. It was, it was stunted. Yep. We'll just call it that because their pitching staff was pretty much on the money. I mean, Leiter had a fantastic game. What was it? I think Rocker had a couple of nice starts when he was, he, you know, he was rounding back into form. Hickman was looking pretty good. So, yeah, you, you had a pretty good top three. The only question was, what, what were you going to get out of the back end of the bullpen? Yeah, and, and, figure, had, and, and how quickly things in the infield was going to snap back into place. But it felt it felt like, as typical Coach Corbin teams go, they start slow, but when they get right, they're impossible to beat. Yep, hot at the right time every year. But yeah, they had they had some freshman pitchers who were very very promising out of the bullpen: Sam Laboki, Michael Doolin, Nick Maldonado, Chris mm-hmm. McIlvain, and, and Thomas Schultz were all really good and in. in four or five outings each for the most part. So And they were, it seemed like they are only going to get – it seemed like this team is only going to get better even though the season ended abruptly. But it just seems to me that when we come off the other side of this, I think this team could be even better than what it was showing. I, I think this team has a very good possibility and a chance to be – not only in the national spotlight, but maybe one of the teams that can get back to Omaha again. Oh, yeah. They're a contender every year for the next 10 years, I think, the way they're going. What is it like working with with Coach Corbin? He's the greatest. Um, he remembers everybody's name. He's friends with everyone. He gives everyone the time of day. Specifically from the broadcaster standpoint, he enjoys being interviewed, and he enjoys – someone who speaks his language, which I think I've learned to do well. <laughs> I, I know what questions he would like to answer. I know what questions he probably wants to stay away from, things that are more speculative. He probably does not want to answer. He doesn't like to compare players. He doesn't like to compare, say, this year's team to last year's team. That's just mm-hmm. not how he thinks. But if you understand how he thinks and if you understand how he operates, which is something that I know how to do and I, I – I take pride in knowing how to do because I've, I've been with him and his team so much and I I've earned their trust. He, he will not, he will not give you a bad answer. And even if you ask a question he doesn't like, 
he still will answer your question. He doesn't have it in him to not answer your question because he's so gracious and so understanding and he listens to the question and will always answer every aspect of it. So from a pure broadcaster standpoint, he's incredible. That's why I love doing those radio games because I get to conduct a five minute pregame interview with him during batting practice, every game that plays over the air before the game starts. Mm -hmm. And that's a ton of fun. And I, I wish I could do that every game all season long, if nothing else, but he's been great to me. Um, he, he has been instrumental in, in my success just because of how welcoming he has been and how accepting he's been. And, uh, he, he treats me as, as part of the group, which is more than I could ever ask for. How did you learn what your style was going to be or how long did it take you to figure out your broadcast style? I didn't really think about it. I've, I've never had a good answer for this just because I just kind of go and, and I play to my play to my strengths and I, I talk about what I know about. And the only thing that I've, I've really had to think about is especially on a radio broadcast, when to do straight play by play, when to bring up a story, when to give back information about a player, when to, when to give a funny, a funny nugget about players, things like that, just in terms of little left and right turns during the broadcast. But it's, I just do it the way I speak. I get excited when, when something good for Vanderbilt or the team I'm broadcasting for happens. And I, I just try to be authentic. That's really it. I, I haven't thought about it too much. I haven't tried to imitate anybody. And I've had people tell me that you don't sound like you're imitating anybody, which is a good thing. And that I, I never really thought about it that way, but that's, that's very good for me to hear just because I'm not, I'm not trying to imitate anyone. I, I want to make sure that my authentic self is coming through. And I think most of the time I'm successful in doing that. And when I'm not successful in it, I feel it. And I understand what I did differently, or maybe I tried to do too much or be something that wasn't me. And I'm able to identify that more often than not. How long did it take you to get the trust and the rapport with baseball, women's basketball, and maybe other sports that you do like with the coaches and the players and basically the whole staff not that long. I think the majority of the of the figures I've worked with in, in sports, especially at Vanderbilt, have been trusting from the get-go, which has been great because I know there are some people in sports, especially those who are extremely well-known or famous, which Tim Corbin is, and he's, he's never been this way, but his, his, his stature in the baseball world would – I mean, you could understand if he was. He's not this way, but I think some people in sports are – are hesitant to, to be open with new people because the circle is already big enough. There are a lot of people trying to get in, but I, I think uh, coach Corbin and the baseball team, especially understand that. And I, this isn't the way I look at it, but they think that I'm doing something good for them, which is great. And I mean, it's nice of them to say, but they're the ones affording the opportunity to me by, by letting me have access to their team and letting me come stand in the dugout during practice and letting me talk to any player I want for interviews at any time and just, just being allowed to be there. So, and I think with the women's basketball team this year, traveling with them for the first time, they don't get a lot of media attention. And of course, neither does the baseball team at different times of year, which I've always thought is ridiculous, but the women's team understands that I'm there with them. I, I traveled with them, which is, a lot of broadcasters have said, I've gotten closest with my teams on road trips. Well, 
this year, I only did the road trips. So that kind of accentuates the process, even though I'm not there with them the entire season, getting to know the coaches, getting to know the assistant coaches. They had a younger group this year. So mm-hmm. really getting to know the freshman players. And this was something I saw with the baseball team. I'm at the point with them in, in year six in some sort of broadcasting role where the players on the team or I, I've, I've been there and involved longer than all the players on the team have. So I've been there from the beginning, and right. that was the case for the big senior group on the national championship. Ethan Paul, Stephen Scott, Julian Infante, Patrick Raby, that whole crew. Mm-hmm. I was there when they got there as freshmen, and even though it was only my second year, I was already there. I've been there from the beginning. And this year I had a player tell me that he had been following me on Twitter since he was a freshman in high school which is funny to think about. CJ Rodriguez told me that, who was a freshman catcher on this year's team. And I said, I mean, I, I thought in my head, like, holy crap, I, I, was, I was basically part of him deciding where to go to college in a way, because I know all these guys are watching every game. So when you did the SEC Plus, what was your biggest concern when you started doing the SEC Plus? I don't think I even knew enough to be concerned. Uh, like I said, I was I was not fully qualified to be doing that, but it was Vanderbilt's show, and and Doug Stanton wanted me to do it, which was great. I mean, I like I said, there was no there was no impetus for that position. I didn't get paid for it my first year. It wasn't in the budget. It was a it was a learning opportunity, and and it was a blast. And and I became an institution on the broadcast, which was a ton of fun. And uh, that that broadcast crew is amazing. Kevin and Andrew are amazing. Doug and Dean McCondici and Stephen Parks and all the Vanderbilt crew, Travis Porterfield are so great. And um, they kind of helped me learn TV just by doing it. I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't like a lesson plan. It was just me being there and there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of limitation, which was great. I mean, I, Doug would tell me when I'd be on, he, he cut a commercial break for me to do a hit in the middle of the first inning of every game which just kind of give me a, a minute to riff and talk about whatever the big story of the day was with the Vanderbilt team, which was great. And then I would do usually two or three hits throughout the game and anything else that would come up on the field with video review or things I was hearing, things I was seeing in the dugout. So it became kind of my crash course in, uh, in sports television. And it was a blast. And he, I don't think it was my, I don't think I was at my best work in terms of a broadcast perspective because I was so raw but it, it was the foundation for me learning, despite the fact that I wasn't going to broadcast journalism class like a lot of people I know at different schools were. So when did 1025 The Game come about and say, hey, we want you to do you know, a podcast with Vanderbilt Athletics with basically the team you're covering and other things like that? How did the game fall in your lap? So I, I came to them um, after I graduated. I broadcast a summer in the Cape Cod League in 2017. And then after a week of, of thinking about it, after that summer ended, I, I decided to come back to Nashville and work with what I had, which wasn't very much at the time, and try and use connections and build around there and see if either Nashville would work or continue looking for jobs elsewhere. But I figured while I was looking, I might as well get my feet on the ground and start working in Nashville. And First week I was back, I saw a, a job listing online for a, a night and weekend producer at 1025, which is technically still my job title there, almost uh, two and a half years later. Um, so I, I ran the board a lot. I produced 
initially I was producing weekend games and when, when we were playing uh, national broadcasts of NFL, MLB, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second, my second year there, I started the podcast, which was in the fall of 2018. So the podcast started then. Um, so it's been a year and a half for the podcast now. I also started editing highlights for the Predators broadcast, which is a ton of fun. Um, it's it's the next best thing to do in play-by-play for a big game. Is it's I look at it as the same thing, crafting a narrative of the game, creating highlight packages, creating those highlights, uploading them to the NHL server. So anytime those highlights would play on satellite radio, the NHL channel, NHL network, ESPN, places like that, that was all originating from me, which I thought was really cool. And I love listening to Pete Weber and Hal Gill, and that's been a lot of fun. So the podcast was just uh, at the end at the end of the summer of 2018. The they were the station was really trying to grow a podcast network, and it, it was it, it was an obvious fit. It was something I'd been wanting to do, and it, the timing made sense. So uh, they gave me the platform and and said, "Go ahead, do your thing." And I've mostly focused on baseball, which I I think is my area of expertise and my niche. I will do some football and basketball during the season, and I will do a lot of interviews on those topics, but I'm not, I'm not going to be a talking head on Vanderbilt football or basketball. I don't have too many opinions on those teams. I would rather right. do great interview content, whereas for baseball, it's, it's a mix of interviews and analysis, knowing that I am one of the, the better informed people covering the team. So how much high school sports like, do you do much high school play-by-play, or do you just do the stats and the call-in for like different games like where you're at when you get a chance to do it so i do the i do the sidelines for the the tv game of the week for high school football the my tv 30 game of the week friday night rivals and we it's i always tell people it's like monday it's the monday night football of high school football we get to see everybody we go to every county i think we're usually at eight counties a year in and around you start in davidson and you work your way around and we have a game everywhere we get to see all the teams. I've done that for two seasons now. So that's my, my biggest involvement in high school sports. And then doing stats and doing a little bit of radio, too, for the, uh, the state championships this year. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. The, the high school sports are for real here. They are, especially football, is a much bigger deal here than, than where I grew up. My high school didn't have a football team even. So it's uh, the, the high school football in the South is a big deal. It's, it's been great to be a part of those communities, to meet coaches, players, and people from those schools and fans every week from uh, August through Thanksgiving. Yep. And early December, if you're lucky. Yeah, we, uh, we unfortunately don't get to do the state championship games. The, uh, the rights package is, is different. I think it's NFHS that has it. I would love to do those games. If yeah, I, I think so. But I think, I think they actually put them, on my TV 30, I think. Yep, and that's that's why it's so funny that it's not our jurisdiction because it's on the same channel we've been broadcasting on all year. Yeah, really. That one is a little odd, but, you know. So, doing what you're, all the stuff that you're doing, what do you feel like you're, what you've learned and what do you still feel like you're still learning as you keep making, you know, progress in this thing? Still learning a ton. Uh, some, sometimes I feel, I feel really busy and really good. And sometimes I feel like I, I, I need to get a lot better. 
Um, just, just in terms of grading myself and giving myself feedback is something I like to do. I think within the last year, I've made some really big strides in terms of my on-camera work and my television work, just because the majority of, of my play-by-play -play experience, especially, is in radio. But I, I think I'm getting much better at, at being an on-camera reporter and a host, and um, I think that's an important thing to be able to do well. You keep <clears throat> you still keep your own stats for baseball, or do you just look at the monitor for you? Oh, no, I keep a like stats. Yeah, my 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 scorebook for baseball is. I, I, I wish I could do what I do for baseball for everything in terms of chronicling the game. I've tried it for basketball, but there's just no good way to do it in terms of play-by-play. -play. Mm -hmm. But uh, for, no, for baseball, I, I keep a full, very detailed book. Uh, it ends up almost totally covered by the end of the game. I, I, this year, I, I decided to chart every single pitch. And um, so every single box is filled with, uh, depending how long the at-bat went, um, an, an assortment of K's, B's, and F's, um, but I, the, the program that, that the majority of the college teams use, Vanderbilt included, for their stat keeping doesn't include pitch by pitch, so I like to be able to know as the at-bat goes on, this is the seventh pitch of the at-bat, et cetera, et cetera, the sequence, you went down 0-2, and I, I started doing it, and I really, really like it. Um, I actually started doing it at the College World Series last year. I wasn't broadcasting those games, so I figured I would give it a try to see if I can get any extra storylines out of it. Um, so I, I have the pitch sequence and the count of everything. Um, I try to chart within it with when I'm putting the play down in the, in the box on my scorecard, where it went on the field. So I can look quickly and say, Austin Martin, single to left center, ground out to the shortstop side of third so far today. So he's one for two, uh, just, just as much detail as possible. And uh, it definitely helped this year. So where do they have you when you're at the College World Series as Joe was up in the press box doing the games? Like, what do they have, like, when you filled into the non-conference and then when you traveled with the team, when you weren't doing the games, but you actually want to make the College World Series, like, what is that process like, even though, you know, you're not doing the games, but you're still doing stats? Well, I, I was working for 1025 The Game there. That was separate from the Vanderbilt Radio. I was there just – with the other reporters in the press box covering the games, doing interviews. And then uh, I would, I would create a podcast after basically every game. I did a podcast basically every day while I was there between 20 and, and 50 minutes, depending on the day. Um, but it was great. I would, I, I, a lot of nights I was, I think the last person out of the ballpark, I would, I would go down to the, the clubhouse level. There was a press conference and the clubhouse was open so any player was available to be interviewed after the game, which was great. And I think Vanderbilt baseball should do that all the time in terms of uh, whoever's there from media can interview whoever they want. Um, it was a really cool concept. And of course, there was a lot more media there than there usually is in Nashville. But it was great because I could go around the locker room and I could interview 10 different people. And then for the podcast, you could hear 10 different players' voices either talking about the same thing or talking about different things. So that made the podcast really unique. I would do the press conference. I would go to the clubhouse and then I would find a, a quiet room, either one of the extra locker rooms or one of the back areas, the auxiliary rooms and sit down and do the podcast into my recorder and then upload it usually around one or one thirty in the morning since most of the games were at night. Um, and it was great. I got a lot of really positive feedback. People were locked in with every game and I, 
I tried to give them a, a, a unique recap of each one, a lot of unique access. I did on the off day before the College World Series final started, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done with Tyler Brown, uh, talking about a lot of things that, that he hadn't talked about before, including the, the game in the regional where he was tipping his pitches. He said he stayed up all night. He didn't sleep the night after that game with his mm. laptop and his lap in bed, trying to figure out what he was doing wrong. And in the reporting I've done since then, I found out that uh, Vanderbilt basically had everyone who was willing and able on their coaching staff doing the same thing that night, trying to figure out what the heck, what the tell was. that. Oh, Indiana why I was tipping his pitches. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I remember hearing that story and I'm like, whoa. Because yeah. I think I remember seeing a Sports Spectrum article on Tyler Brown. What was it? Last year? A couple of years? I mean, it was, I think it was right at College World Series time. And I think Sports Spectrum did an ad piece on uh, Vanderbilt on uh, Tyler Brown, the closer. And it was interesting to see. And I'm like, wow, Andy Baseball getting love even in a Christian magazine. Like that, that was an it was interesting because you don't really see many things like that. Yeah, well, uh, he he was certainly the big story, and I. I, in my coverage, always like to, to focus on the on-field more than the off-the-field, but mm -hmm. him, him having a young daughter with Down syndrome and his mm -hmm. background uh, garnered a lot of attention and I think brought a lot of people to a, a closer connection with the Vanderbilt team than they either had before or just people who didn't know the team at all. So I think that's really special. I, I think the TV broadcasts will sometimes focus on those types of stories a little bit too much and try and force them in. Whereas I think the majority of viewers, and I think we saw this with NFL draft too last night. I thought I don't usually watch the draft too intently. I didn't watch the draft at all. That was the first time I don't think I've ever watched the first round. I, I think that's the first time I've not watched the first round of the draft. Period. The first time you haven't, or you have? Haven't. Oh really? I, I think it was the first time in a while that I've watched it wire to wire. Um, but they 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 lean too heavily on the human interest side of it. I think. Um, those stories have a place, but I, I don't think that, I don't know. As a fan, I would rather hear about the game more often than not and, and get to know the people rap through, through baseball rather mm -hmm. than through a tragedy in their life. I, I think it's very interesting that a lot of people would focus on that, but um, I, especially because those stories are so well told by people who are better than me at telling them, like, Adam Sparks in article form and the majority of the time, the TV broadcasters, I, I try to focus on the baseball aspect because that's what I understand the best. And, and that's, that's what I think the players from Vanderbilt who I know well know that I want to talk to them about, and they're comfortable talking to me about the specifics of pitching, what they're working on or, or very specific baseball aspects. I'll, I'll give you another example while we're talking about those college world series podcasts and, oh, please feel free. and, and why that, why that open uh, locker room access was so good last year. The, the Louisville game, uh, the second Louisville game, when Vanderbilt clinched their spot in the College World Series finals, the Luke Smith game uh, last yes, year. Yes, the, the RBI double where it was down to the last strike, not once, but maybe more than once. Yeah, the, uh, so on, on that, that double was Ethan Paul. J.J. Bleday was on first, and yep. he had walked right before that. And mm -hmm. it was their fourth time facing Luke Smith, who had just cussed them out after striking out Julian Infante. Yeah, really. I think I remember something like that, because Joe was like, Luke Smith was, you know, 
doing something that, you know, he had no business doing. And Vanderbilt baseball, the Vandy baseball players were not too thrilled about it. Yeah. Because he had just gotten through the eighth inning. Right. And I I was surprised he came back out. He had 115 pitches. I kind of wasn't in a roundabout way because – I, Jeff McDonald and Coach Corbin, both very classy individuals, they know what's at stake. And, you know, you're going to, you know, if he feels like he can go, you know, McDonald's like probably thinking, okay, can you give me one more inning? And probably Luke Smith is like, okay, I can give you one more. And he probably was like, if you take me out of this game, I will never forgive you for it. So Yeah, so he, he came back into the dugout, I think, and went right in the pitching coach's ear and said, I'm going back out. Uh, which was interesting to see. Really, but the uh, yeah, on they're on the end of his uh, his rampage there. Mm-hmm. But uh, the 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 piece of information that I got that that I, I just wanted to give is the example of the the level of baseball that I think is good reporting is. Yeah, I talked to JJ Blade who started that inning, and it was mm-hmm. just me and him in sitting in his locker, um, in the in the open locker room portion instead of the press conference. Right, and I asked him. Um, Cause it was, it was their fourth time through the lineup. And I asked him cause he walked, I think on five pitches. I think, I think it, it was worked. like a, I think he got the strike and then missed with four straight. Yeah. And that was also the night, by the way, here while y'all were in Omaha where we had that nice little thunderstorm. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I literally had to cut my computer off cause I was keeping tabs on Twitter you know, with the weather and all that to make sure to hope and pray that it was, you know, gone. So I came back to the, to tune in and listen to the game, the remainder of it that way, because 560 had gotten knocked off. Mm-hmm. So I had heard something about it because I know Joe was calling the game. So after Luke Smith had gotten through that eighth inning and he came back out, and then I think he got the first pitch strike and then he missed with four straight pitches out of the zone. And I think two of those pitches, he basically, you know, stared at the umpires like, where were those pitches? If I'm not mistaken, because I know if my math is right, because there was like one or two pitches that looked good that Louisville, that the pitcher and the catcher thought that they had, which the home plate umpire did not give them. And then he just, you know, went ahead and walked the day after that. Well, you know, what, what JJ said was that was – that was the first time that he could really see the ball all game because the backdrop had finally cleared up because the sun had gone down. And right. o- Omaha is, is further west than here, obviously, but still in the central time zone. Yeah. So it's, it stays lighter much later. And, I mean, we're, we're in the longest week of the year, the week of the year with the most daylight, June, mm-hmm. June 20th or so. Yeah. And um, it, it may even have been – the game may even have been on the longest – on the most sunlight day of the year. The, it was the a, I know it was a Friday. I know that. I think it was the 21st, actually. Yeah, so it was, I, it was, a, it was a fr- I remember it was a Friday because Vandy had just finished off, if my dad is right, because they had won the, they won the Louisville game on that Sunday to get to 1-0, and then they had to play Mississippi State again on, I think it was what, because it was a rain, it was a rain out that day. I think they pushed it back to Wednesday same time they were thinking it was a two o'clock game and they had to play mississippi state again so vandy got that thursday off so they didn't have to play but louisville mississippi state and vanderbilt side of the bracket had to basically play to play vanderbilt because they had to beat vanderbilt twice just mm-hmm. to get to omaha so vandy was in the catbird seat so they got a glorious day off 
So it was on that Friday when Luke Smith came back out after they had eliminated Mississippi State on that Thursday. Yep. Or, or wait a minute. It, it, yeah, it was either Wednesday or th- I think it was Thursday because there was a rain delay. I think it was a rain out on that Tuesday. So yep. everything kind of got condensed and pushed back. So they had to get a lot of games in in a short amount of time, but they were able to get it done. So what is CD Ameritrade Park like? Because I know a lot of folks have been there, and I've heard from a lot of different people it's a good ballpark, but there are some advantages and disadvantages in that ballpark compared to Johnny Rosenblatt Stadium. So what I is the – what is the downtown ballpark TD Ameritrade like in Omaha? And is it a perfect setup for the College World Series? I loved it. It was my first time there. I was not there in 2014 or 2015 when Bandy went the first two times when I had been involved because mm-hmm. um, my summer job had started already by then. It, it was great. It is – I mean, the, the ballpark itself is nice. The thing about the ballpark that I like is – there, there's no fluff. There's no frill. And there, there's nothing. It, it is a ballpark. It is the game and the seats. Love and it. that is it because it is, it is by far the most knowledgeable, smart, and focused baseball crowd I have ever seen. Everyone is there. Everyone is there to watch the game. So many different backgrounds, people from different areas. It was especially on the first few days when, when there are two games every day and it's more worth it for people from – from either neutral fan bases or the fan bases involved to make the trip. It is such a cool split between people who are rooting for a team, people who are locals who love going every year, and then people who are neutral fans who aren't from the area and have made a trip from somewhere else who are just baseball fans. So it was a really cool mix and the crowd would go down as the tournament went on. And especially on the, if necessary game three, the outfield was empty because none of the neutral fans were going to, book an extra night if they weren't sure there was going to be a game right so uh the the, the best crowds were in the beginning where we're still in the the group tournament yeah um, and some of that was on weekends as well which helps mm-hmm. but, uh, saturday yeah, sunday it was great um i, I honestly i i think being downtown is fine i think they could put it anywhere it doesn't matter i mean there's i i have never been to omaha or anywhere else in the state of nebraska outside of the college world series but uh, once once the crowd started to thin out, it seemed like there was not much going on there. I mean, you got you got a couple of buildings that are that are twenty to thirty stories in town. But other than that, uh, two roads in downtown, two roads out, Iowa right across the border, um, and there ain't much between there and Lincoln, from what I could gather. And I remember watching on ESPNU. And they had, I don't know if they still have it up still or not, the road to Omaha, where it was all about the College World Series. I'm like, that was some awesome stuff. Even though I didn't get to catch, didn't get to catch it all, but it was pretty awesome. On how, on how, you know, one college week in one state has become as big as it has over the years. Yeah, and it, it will it will never leave either. Those people and it's are, theirs. It's not yeah. you know no you know there's some sponsorships, but you know college the college world series they've made it their own. It's it's like it's their little main event show that they have there. Yep. 
I mean, there's 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 nothing like it. Like it, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's not better than the NCAA tournament, but you know, it has its own little spot. It it's not you know interfering with anything. It's not interfering with anything. It's just on its own. It stands alone by itself, unless you're watching the NBA playoffs. But for us baseball nerds, it's enjoyable because you actually get to see that. You see, actually get to see kids actually play baseball. Yeah, it was fun to see. Who have been your favorite players over the years to, in your short amount of time that you felt like you've gotten a chance to build a friendship with besides as the besides being the broadcaster that you've actually got a chance to have a conversation off the air with? I would say the, the group that I probably got to know best was the group I mentioned of, of last year's seniors, which was the, the guys who were there who stayed all four years and were there last year were were Ethan Paul, Julian Infante, Stephen Scott, Patrick mm-hmm. Raby, AJ yep. Franklin, Keanu Fentress, and Walker Grisanti. And then also drafted the year before that, you had Chandler Day, Connor Kaiser, and I'm going to forget somebody, Alonzo Jones. And then I think there were maybe one or two more who were all in that year together. And that was Donnie Everett's year as well. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, that group I got to know well because the summer I, I announced in, in the Cape Cod League was was their summer to get up there. So they were sophomores going into juniors that year. And none of them were on the team I was with, but I still got to see them quite a bit. Uh, Ethan Paul, Stephen Scott, and Chandler Day were all teammates for Orleans together, which was uh, – they were all in the same division as me. I was in Chatham. They were in Orleans. Connor Kaiser was in Yarmouth, and uh, Julian Infante was in Brewster. So I got to see those guys quite a bit. I obviously already knew them well, but I got to see them more outside of Vanderbilt, which was great. So I know them really well. I, I have a great relationship with everybody. Um, it's it's cool to get to know them. Uh, the guys who were my same year, Brian Reynolds, Jason DeLay, Ben Bowden, Jordan Sheffield uh, mm-hmm. were all my year. Penn Murphy, um, a couple of other guys too, Tyler Green. Um, so it's cool to get to know those guys. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm from Pittsburgh. I, Grew up a Pirates fan. I love going to games there. And, uh, I mean, Brian Reynolds is, is one of the Pirates' best players now. So uh, it, w- it was awesome to see him play at PNC Park last year and get to talk to him a little bit. Uh, him him and his wife are having a baby later this year, so that's great. How about that? Uh, but it's, it's, it's cool to follow all these guys. And, and what, I've, what I've grown to, to notice and appreciate, especially with uh, Ro Coleman is my year, too. I forgot Ro. Uh, that, I knew I was forgetting somebody. Um, when, when, when they, when they make the majors or, or are pro athletes and are doing their thing, they're, they're even more appreciative of the people who, who know their story and, and were with them earlier on. So I'm, I'm grateful for, for, uh, for getting to know all those guys really well. What is the Cape Cod league like? Cause I know you did, you said you did a summer, maybe two summers on the Cape Cod at the Cape. What do you feel like you learned from being in that league that you show you to this day? Yeah, it was great. Um, the quality of play was really good. Um, they actually just announced today uh, that the 2020 season is officially canceled. Um, I thought they were going to wait a little bit longer and try and see if they could start in July or something like that. But uh, it was canceled today, which is sad. But uh, the quality of play is really good. It's the best college players, uh, not all the pitchers necessarily because of, of inning limits over the spring. 
which is what is ultimately going to kill the league, I think, because they're they're not going to have the best pitchers and players aren't going to want to come anymore. But uh, the quality of play is really good. It's really pure baseball. Um, they don't sell tickets. You show up, you turn the lights on. Some of the venues don't even have lights, um, and you play, which is really cool. So it's it's a cool balance between the quality of play being good and and the the atmosphere being very laid back in in a beautiful setting. So. It was great. Uh, it was big for me to be able to announce a game every day. Um, the the Chatham broadcast was the first broadcast to get on the air in the Cape in the early 2000s. And Dan Duva, who is the Vegas Golden Knights radio announcer, started it and still runs it now and hires and coaches the broadcasters. So I got some really good uh, professional instruction and mentorship from Dan, who I'm still – uh, in touch with quite a bit. I'll see him every time the Knights come and play the Predators, which is usually twice a season here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he's, he's been great to me and, and uh, giving me that opportunity was, it was the biggest reason I made the improvements that I did coming right out of school. Um, I think that was, that was my biggest leap. What do you feel like the do's and the don'ts when you got coaching from Dan Duva that he gave you were your biggest keys that you still use? Well, like, what were his rules for success in the Cape League that you still use now, even though you're not doing Cape League baseball anymore? Yeah, so he, he, he was coaching, like you said, more just general best practices, which is perfect. Um, and there was a really good article on it, I believe, in The Ringer. Uh, Brian Curtis, who is their media reporter, the year after I was there, mm. so uh, two summers ago now, went up and just like embedded himself with them for a couple of days. And he wrote a big article about it, which got a lot of acclaim amongst broadcasters. And I just thought it was the funniest thing ever because he absolutely nailed it. He nailed what it's like to have Dan like coaching him up and texting them advice during a broadcast. And he, he just absolutely nailed it. So I would, I would say, go read that, just search, uh, Dan Duva, Chatham broadcasters. Yeah, I, I do. I do need to get back know. in touch with him because I, you know, you know, I, I have his email. So I mean, I still got his email in my address book. And why? Well, yeah, I would say I would say just read the article because that gives you a sense of, of what I'm about to say in terms of how he helps. I mean, he is <laughs> he is he is both there to to fix everything for you, but also there as much as you need him if you take the initiative to ask for help. And he's a lot of the time waiting for his people to ask him for help. And then the next thing you know, you're sitting down for three hours diagnosing a single half inning of play-by-play, -play, which is the most helpful thing in the world for me at that time because I'd never had that caliber of instruction. So right. the biggest things I came out of that with, I changed my, I, I changed my voice a little bit coming out of that, um, which was good. I, I used to have a lot higher voice on the broadcast. Now it's lower, which was something I figured out there that I needed to change a little bit to sound more professional. <laughs> and then the other big thing that he really helped me with was my, my word choice and speaking in complete sentences and cutting out unnecessary words and being able to tell the story. And the thing that I use the most from him, that is one of his, uh, uh, broadcast mantras many of which I still hear in my sleep but uh the bit the big one that I really liked was he would always say report 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 so when you're doing play-by-play -play, especially radio play-by-play -play, you are a constant reporter and 
you're just reporting what you what you see and observe and what you understand about the game and and who's involved and the way I look at it is you're my my kind of twist on that was you're writing a newspaper for every single thing that happens and why the heck would you not lead with the headline so you you start with what's most important and then go down from there and and fill as needed but uh yeah, uh, it, it really is just reporting on the fly. Um, and the other thing that I, that I learned, which I, I don't think I could have told you for sure uh, going into that summer, but Dan and as well as Bob Sherman, who's part of the broadcasting there, um, instilled in me was my, my best skill at, at that point, and I think still, is interviewing. And um, I really took that to heart, and I tried to, like I said, center the podcast around that. Um, and yeah, it's uh, that that was something I really took out of it. Interviewing uh, the winningest manager in Cape Cod baseball history every day um, on the pregame show, and his what ended up being his final season. So that was special. So was there already a broadcast log and stuff set up, or did you guys basically do all your games online? in the Cape in terms of where they were broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all online. You can, you can listen on your phone too. There's a dial in number. So it's uh, they provide a video feed, um, but it, 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 it is really just a radio broadcast. Okay. I wasn't sure how, you know, how that worked. And <clears throat> yeah, I would say, I mean, the, unfortunately the season is canceled as we found out a couple <laughs> hours ago, but um, I would encourage you and, and anybody else listening to listen to some of those games. I mean, it's it's 20 to 30 college broadcasters who were there, and they're all really good, and the baseball's really good. So when you do between radio and TV, how do you keep yourself mentally sharp from falling into the trap of, you know, not doing your radio thing on TV? Yeah, that's hard, and I don't do TV a lot, um, or I didn't this year at least in terms of TV play-by-play. So I just try to use my analyst, and I I told I told Shane Foster this before I did one men's basketball game with him as a fill-in in December. I said, Shane, I've been doing all these radio games, and I've been doing them all by myself, so I've been talking a lot. So if I talk too much, hit me on the side of the head, and he thought I was joking. And I was serious, um, but no, it's just you, you let you let the analysts carry the game. Um, they know more than you. And you got to remember that um, it's it's a different goal. I mean, Luther, you know this. Um, experiencing radio the way that you do, I mean, it, it it helps you visualize and it helps you be able to see everything. And, and someone watching on television who's able to, they they can already tell for the most part in terms of what's on camera where everything is, and you're you're filling in the gaps, you're telling them who's who, but you don't necessarily have to say everything because a lot of that is already there. So do you want to stay in radio or are you looking to move up into the transition to TV or what are your broadcast career goals that are left for you to try to hit? Well, I don't think, I don't think anybody has to choose one. Um, and I don't plan on choosing one, but I just, I mean, I've, I, I've kept my options open in terms of what I have experience in between so many different roles and so many different media that I, I think I'm in good shape with, with whatever opportunity comes to me, that, that is the next one I'm going to take and whatever it leads to leads to, but I'm, I'm very happy with, uh, with, 
with what my my uh, my skill set is right now. So, <clears throat> when you have like broadcasters, young broadcasters, it's probably going to be the last one because I know I've kept you way more than expected. That you're, what are you listening for from other broadcasters when you actually listen to their stuff? Like when they send you stuff, like what are you listening for? And what are your do's and don'ts for them? Do's and don'ts. I don't know. I uh, I don't try. I don't try to to take too much um, from other people. I would say. I don't know. I don't think it's hard and fast like that. I would say just just be yourself, report on the game, and and tell me what's going on and what the story of the game is. Um, I think it depends on the sport too. But if I don't know, I I just kind of do what I think I would want to hear, which doesn't really answer the question. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really have a set list of of do's and don'ts. I would say. Just, just do do what feels right, and and inform me what I need to know would probably be the the best way to phrase it in general. That's that's all that I really try to do, and and whatever comes from there, comes from there. This has been a blast, man. I you know I know it took us a little bit, but well worth it. Yeah, thank you, Luther. Well, thank you. <laughs>